The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome to Screen Talk Live from my apartment in Long Island City and Ann Thompson somewhere in early film history, it appears. And where are you exactly? <laughs> I like playing with my backdrops. <laughs> this is, I think it's me, Bridge. <laughs> so, so, somewhere in the 1890s and early motion picture artistry, which feels somehow appropriate as we're in this fascinating moment of contemplating the state of the art form and the future of cinema. But for those of you who are tuning in who somehow aren't familiar with this podcast, welcome. We're glad that you made the time for it. I'm Eric Cohn. I'm the executive editor and chief critic. Ann Thompson, my sparring partner, is our editor at large. And what's kind of fascinating about what we're doing here, Anne, is that it kind of feels like weirdly the best of both worlds. I mean, we record regularly from our homes on, on most weeks. And sometimes and we can wear whatever we want, we wear whatever we want, which is not the case here. But sometimes we do put our our grown up clothes on and we go to film festivals and we do live versions with an audience. So we are kind of doing both of those things at once, even though we can't see the audience. I see that there are so far a good amount of people tuning in, which is pretty fascinating. And I may have nothing else to do at the moment. (laughs) We'll take it. I have to tell you, it almost feels like for everything that we're talking about on a regular basis, the kind of ever changing technology of, of, of entertainment and how people watch stuff we're kind of, we're in it right now. I mean, are you going to watch something on VOD? Are you going to tune in to watch some people talk about the future of movie going? It's kind of all part of the same equation. Now. There's a I get a lot of invitations to very inviting things. If I only had the time, you know, Eric, you and I are busier than ever. I mean, this is That's a true. good thing. I'm not complaining. There's lots of news. There's lots of stuff breaking, lots of things to figure out about how festivals are going to function or how the Oscars are going to function. We're going to get into all of this today, but you Needless to say, we're still juggling. So let's talk about all that because it has been quite the news cycle this week of all times for us to do something like this. We have so much to get through. And I have a guilty confession to make. You know, some people, they, they, they're sort of shy to admit the stuff they like to watch and they get a kick out of like trash TV, like reality shows where people are just arguing the whole time. Everything that's been happening most recently with the big movie theater chains and the studios, like Universal and AMC, that's like my version of that. I'm actually it's dramatic. Weirdly, There's a I'm lot enjoying of it. There's well, so I don't much. Want, let's not take it too far. Because I'm having there fun. Is, there is a lot at stake. Um, I mean, there. They, yesterday, not, I don't want to be glib about context, it. There was a spat. There was a a struggle there, you know, and it's been building up for a long time. The truth is that Universal, led by a guy named Jeff Schell, who used to work at Comcast, which owns Universal, which is a big cable company. And this company has been wanting to go into VOD, specifically premium VOD for a really long time. And finally, they got the chance with this shutdown. And the face-off with the theaters was always that the theaters wouldn't let them experiment, wouldn't let them play around. 
And now they are getting the numbers and they went to the Wall Street Journal and they boasted and they crowed and they said, look, we made a hundred million dollars on trolls. A hundred million dollars on trolls. I mean, now a lot of people are questioning all the numbers and what's international and what, how does it affect the rest of the usual chain of ancillaries that bring in money. But at any rate, they did well with it and they're going to continue. They, they announced to uh, keep that as an option going forward, not, just a temporary thing during the pandemic, but something they're going to use in their arsenal of distribution tricks going forward. And that sent AMC into apoplexy. Well, one of the things that I thought was fascinating about that is that it's it's almost like on the macro level, what you've been seeing the indie world do for a while, where it's very opaque, the VOD world. We don't know numbers so often unless somebody does really well. You know, when Radius would come along a few years ago and say, hey, we made two million dollars on this, you know, Keanu Reeves martial arts thing or whatever, because that's like pretty good for a smaller movie. This is like suddenly this conversation is happening on a much bigger level. And it's kind of fascinating because it creates way more problems for an industry that's so concerned about the bottom line and afraid to evolve into some new paradigm. They don't want to. And the art houses can. Here's what's, yes, this is what I, I'm working on a, a story about this. I mean, what strikes me about this is that we're hearing uh, anecdotally from a lot of different people that the film festivals, the exhibitors, the distributors on the indie side are getting together. They're sharing information. They're throwing competition aside and they're saying, hey, let's do these virtual cinemas. Let's bring some money into the theaters during this time. Let's create a big audience of cinephiles who can watch movies in this way. We can actually make money and they are making money. And and I find this very exciting. It doesn't mean it's going to be the same when we come out, you know, it's going to be different. And, and I think that the, and, and people will learn things and have more um, data and have more uh, ways of reaching audiences in a very constructive, positive, innovative way. On the other hand, the studios and the theaters are at an impasse. They can't talk to each other. They are at odds and they don't share information and they don't create ways to innovate. And that is a serious problem going forward when they're under so much duress in terms of coming back and making a business out of this again. And one of the reasons to go back to why my, my guilty pleasure excitement over watching this brawl happen is that I, I'm, I, I feel like the, the value system is so different from my own. You know, the people who I relate to are the people who are really invested in the art of cinema and the, the culture of movie going in whatever form that evolves into. And it feels like arguments about Trolls Ward Tour and Universal's big movies and where they wind up it's, it's not, they're really just concerned about how to make a lot of money on really big product. And I, I'm more interested in seeing how the stuff that's on the margins survives and comes out on the other side of this. And so it is promising to see that there is progress there with virtual cinemas and so forth. So hopefully well, that's is, where we're going. I hope so too. I, I mean, there is a weird, uh, there is a, a, a scary truth, which is that the nonprofits and the, the businesses that were always a little marginal are the ones that are the most threatened. And on the other hand, on the big side, AMC, the one that was acquiring lots and lots of theaters is, is the most debt burdened. And it's debt burdened people that are in the most threatened position right now. So it's, and also, we're all watching carefully. 
And because you can't build a business around such unknown quantities, like a future that could either be a gradual return to normalcy or a second wave of a disease that makes it impossible to go back to where we were. Right. And if they're opening theaters, um, I mean, and this is what fascinates me right now is people are starting to do the really think about it. How do you, you know, go into a theater wearing a mask and gloves? How do you buy concessions, which is where they make most of their money? How do you eat popcorn? <laughs> in your seat yeah, with three seats around you with, with, with a mask on. Do you take your mask off when you sit down? All of these things. Um, I mean, right now we're still in that very scary place of, of being afraid, uh, you know, to put ourselves at risk. How are parents going to take their kids to, to see Mulan? Uh, are they going to put their kids at risk in a movie theater? These are the questions that well, it's not, haven't been answered. Yeah, the kids aren't the ones at risk. Unfortunately, it's 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 yes, the kids they are. things. Are, well, the kids are pretty resilient. It's, no, it's that they everybody's can at it risk. Wrong. You can't take any. You can't make any assumptions. Well, I think the other thing that, that is kind of fascinating about this is what it means for older movies on every level of the business. I mean, certainly movie theaters reopening with a dearth of product mean that you're going to have films that you're going you're gonna to have to show other stuff to get people to turn out. And so there are perhaps opportunities for, say, a movie a theater chain to bring back some films that didn't get the attention they deserved the first time around or, or to play some, play, get, get people to go see stuff that, um, you know, from a repertory standpoint could be interesting. And, so and they I, I are going to open, the, interrupting you as usual. Um, you can they see are, it in action. <laughs> can't change. Um, they are going to um, put in some movies. They're going to have these big DCPs, like with a big selection of product from all the different studios. The studios are actually um, contributing and they're going to have very favorable terms uh, for these, for these, this is how they're going to have a soft opening. And, and, and that's going to happen in, in May, in June. I mean, they're, they're really crying, thinking about, uh, there's a theater in Texas that's supposedly almost about to, to open. I think it's a bit, a bit early, but, um, they are, you know, what they're going to show. They're going to show Indiana Jones and Harry Potter. <laughs> That's what they're going to show. Hey, some people didn't get a chance to see those movies in theaters. And, and for every couple of years, there's another generation of folks who maybe grew up watching them at home. So it's actually an event movie to go see that. But a perfect way to test the waters, too. I mean, I'm also curious about the way that film festivals get to the other side of this, because we're seeing these attempts at virtual film festivals. And they're very controversial because... Sales agents see them as not particularly constructive for a movie. You don't know how many people are watching them. Once you put it online, you can't really control piracy, all this kind of stuff. But then this past week, we heard this announcement that Tribeca Enterprises has gotten together all of these different heavy hitters from Cannes to New York to, to you know the, a bunch of other European festivals and across the U.S. And, and Toronto, and they're putting together this global film festival event and we don't know what those lineups are going to look like issue, but to me eric we don't know i mean here's the thing practically speaking i mean i love that they're doing it but practically speaking if it's all old movies if it's movies that have played other festivals like berlin before or old can titles or old toronto you know what i'm saying it's just promoting stuff that's already out there that's fine and i'm, I'm glad they're doing something but what you and i are focused on now is how are we going to see the new movies that, that are part yeah. of our life blood, so, that we would have gone to see in Cannes. 
So I think that, that that's that's the thing. I think that there is real substance, substantial value to showing older movies in virtual festivals right now because, frankly, a lot of these films didn't get a lot of attention the first time around. So maybe the potential there is almost like this Insta repertoire. So it's a benefit kind of a to thing. lots of different people's libraries. And know? it's good for film culture, too, for, for these films that might not get that kind of recognition through the festival circuit to get that boost. And so the virtual festival thing should continue. But I but I agree. I think what we are seeing is that the the opportunity for exclusivity that a festival presents is not something that you can just replicate in the online space in right. quite the same way. So it does raise some really fascinating questions. And yet at the same time, everyone's being forced to adapt. So wherever we wind up in the fall, we're not really going to know if these films are going to have a platform and whether or not some kind of online component is going to be essential. And that, I think, uh, leads us into the Oscar side yeah. of it. I was going to say that there's a kind of a, a rolling uh, surge of movies that should have shown at South by that should have that didn't get onto their platform right. that that are should have shown in Cannes that should have you know which probably isn't going to happen except at, at perhaps at a, as a French festival um and and then Venice and 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 all these festivals are going to be local and where are we going to see those movies in likelihood we're going to see them you in New York and me in LA um, maybe they're going to play at Telluride or play in Toronto or play in New York but we're going to see them likely in our in our local sanitized screening room you and i were commiserating earlier this week we were on you know everybody's been feeling different kinds of grief for aspects of life they took for granted we yeah. had this kind of charmed life i mean right now we would be gearing up for can and it's so it's a very surreal experience to take that out of the equation and realize how much you've adjusted to that and to not have can coming up and these films that we would have been anticipating, it, it's very surreal because it's not like those films cease to exist. They're out there somewhere in the ether. Can't well, solve the, Let's talk about the virtual market that's going to yes. occur. In, in, there's a can virtual market and they're going to be doing, I, I'm, I think they have actually done this already where they show a movie uh, to the same, to a group of people at the same time, sort of the way we're doing this, they watch the movie and discuss it with each other after or supply their reaction right after. Um, I, I find that I, maybe they'll be doing that for us. I have heard from some buyers who have been to virtual screenings and said that it's it's worked out okay. If you time it in a certain manner where everybody tunes in at a certain point in time and then it's not available after that, it's essentially you're, you're, you're doing the same act. And then a lot of the deal making, the conversations or whatever, you can replicate. And what we're doing right now, you know, it's, it's like a panel, right? They can have events like this, as well as making certain things available to people. And there can be deal making. I think the question is going to be, you know, what's that deal making really going to look like? Is the industry really going to be ready to spend a lot of money when they don't know what they're going to do with these projects. I mean, big so, projects come out of the market. So this is what I find interesting is like, how could you um, replicate that moment where media people respond, where we have a moment where we have just seen something and we can tweet our reaction and there's an embargo and there's a review thing. And, 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 and the whole thing that would happen at a festival, we could replicate that. Yeah, That's what I they think, want. They want to know how is it playing for people? Yeah, I think that 
you can replicate it only because of the conditions that we're in right now, in which if you tell everyone this is the only time that you can experience this one thing, we might do it. You know, a lot of us waited, whatever it was, 70 minutes to watch that Stephen Sondheim birthday thing in spite of <laughs> the did. tech check, right? right? We were I there so for it. I was so frustrated. But I mean, and I, I'm, I'm only sort of, I'm on the cusp of Sondheim fan, but, but, I, but I, I waited around because, well, first of all, what the hell else are you going to do? But also because it was worth waiting around for. And I think- No, the kind I went of, off and had my drink date and did whatever I was going to do and came back and, and watched it later. I actually watched it in the middle of the night. That's what I did. Yeah, so there, there is such a thing as a virtual event and eventizing. It, it can happen when, when Trolls World Tour, which is where all the conversations inevitably lead back to, screen for the media. There was an all-media kind of thing where they gave us a link for 24 hours and there was an embargo. So you can do these timed link things, and if the product is attractive enough to the media, I suspect the media is going to tune in because we don't have any other option. So, so I the do other think thing I learned... There. The other thing I learned is that there are many um, acquisitions that have actually taken place already from people who have bought movies that were supposed to be at festivals. They screened them and they acquired them, but there's no festival to announce them in. There's right. no you need some context kind of reason. Yeah. for announcing them. So I find that interesting too. Yeah, and everybody's doing business however they can. Nobody just kind of is like throwing up their hands and there's stopping. There's gonna be demand for product. A lot you have to. And, and if it means that everything that is going to be end. streamed, I don't know. I mean, we have people listening in today who are in working on smaller art house titles and we have people in the streaming wars space. And, and I think that it's kind of a fascinating uh, question of, you know, when you are investing in a, in a good new movie, what the best opportunity is for it. Because the answer to that question a few months ago is very different from what it would be right now. Everybody's streaming, right? Every stream platform's numbers are off the charts. Nobody's, you know, getting too public about it, but we know that's happening because we're all part of that. But does that mean that for a smaller, weirder movie that might benefit in a traditional world from a platform release is suddenly going to do really well on streaming? That's so untested that we don't really know. And it seems like there are a lot of metrics and need for experimentation that are sort of on the horizon. So that's what's to good me, about like, this. People are learning good, a lot good. of new things, and you and have innovate. to be willing to experiment. Yes, I mean, if you exactly. don't take which those is weird why, swings, which is why I tend to be a little more sympathetic. I think that that Universal's being a little um, harsh and blunt about their approach to PR on this in this situation. They're playing to Wall Street. They're not trying to mediate uh, with the theaters right now. But in fact. Um, they, the theaters need to innovate and, and they're not. And, and that's the situation we're in. Yeah. I mean, there's no, no attempt to do something on a mass scale, like what the art houses are doing with these virtual cinemas. And of course that revenue is, is minuscule, but it does seem like on some level, at least we're seeing an attempt to do, to, to give people a product and to let them have that experience and not do it at the expense of the future of movie going, whatever that looks like. So but I, I rushed into this earlier. Let's let's get into the Oscars side of it because that was the other big oh, yeah. news this week. The Academy, right. as we expected, making a, a, a serious change to its qualifying rules. So it's Which not they had, they had to, but it's 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 interest. I I personally thought it was very smart the way it was formulated. That the the theatrical release being waived for and and correct me if I'm wrong for films that already had theatrical dates planned. 
the a theatrical uh, right. Qualifying Basically, run is no the golden needed. the Golden Globes are the same thing too. And in, in other words, when the theaters reopen, it's a whole other ball game. But during this period when they're closed, but there's other there's other things too. Like if if you, you it used to be that if you ever played online before you had a theatrical release you were ineligible. Now they're recognizing that movies are playing online at film festivals and they're letting those movies be eligible, assuming they fulfill all the other requirements later on. So it's, it opens up some really interesting questions about how this year is going to proceed. Does it mean that now a lot of the movies that you would be anticipating uh, as awards contenders will now have some kind of VOD strategy that wasn't going to be there before. Well, it opens or, the gates for them to go that way if they want yeah. to. Um, I mean, a lot of people are wondering what's going to happen to Promising Young Woman, which is a focus movie that hasn't come out yet and uh, that played well at, at Sundance. And and there's some um, there's a number of, of un- um, unbooked titles. It's really fascinating to look at at, at the schedule because it's it's like they Tenet is going to go out in July, presumably. That's the big sort of, is that the one, you know, that's going to happen? Um, Nolan is a big believer in theaters. We'll see. And then as you get into September and, and the end of the year, that's when you start to see movies that are really going to play in theaters because they want to go to the Oscars, things like West Side Story and and it's Dune if it's finished. We'll see. And there's just no way in hell that a movie like Dune or West Side Story is going to skip a theatrical release. No. I mean, it's impossible to visualize no. something like that even working because the theatrical eventizing of it is so tied to its DNA. But if we can't go to movie theaters... So we have to play this out. A lot of people are, are doing a lot of wishful thinking about the theaters. Like, oh, they're going to open. People are going to show up. And I'm like... I don't know. Is that really going to happen? Knows. What if there's a, you know, I don't want to say these things, but you know, what if there's a, a cluster that comes out of one of these things, you know, that's a big, bad thing for this, for the, for the theaters or for, it's all about people feeling safe. For example, uh, they're trying to say uh, airplanes, unsafe theaters in the middle somewhere safe. This is John Fithian and everybody's buying into this. Um, would you would you fly to Telluride? Do you think would you would you book a flight? I will go tell? on the record and say, OK, first of all, if you look up flights to Telluride right now, they are awesomely cheap. So after, <laughs> after years of figuring that off. out, <laughs> if you if you want to take a real risk, it go won't cost it you right that much. <laughs> I, I, I said before of the moments up to South by Southwest cancellation, people were asking me if I would go. I said, if it's happening, I'll be there. I believe in being in the front lines. If I can be on the front lines, I will be there. Now, the question I would have is, is a festival like Telluride going to be the front lines this year? Or as you say, is it going to be more of this localized process where you in LA, me in New York, will have different kinds of experiences because that's just the way that the, these films are going to be made available. They're going to have it and they're going to want people to show up for it, whoever they may be. We, well, we'll I'll, I'll, I love sitting in that gondola. There's certainly a lot of open air that's, space. The gondola so. is the last place you should be sitting. Oh my God. Well, maybe, it was That's just exactly one at a time. You don't want to be. <laughs> one person at a time. Ooh. You know, I, <laughs> I always find it a little awkward when, they, when they're, they're stuffed to the gills with people and you have to like talk to some stranger who you may or may not agree with. And I'll sometimes, never forget like, being stuck in the gondola with Mike Lee. <laughs> oh, okay. That sounds actually really entertaining. Um, 
yeah, I've had a few weird encounters with Herzog in similar situations. But um, but I, I do love going to festivals in the sense that uh, the experiential side of it is such a crucial part of how you end up processing the year in cinema, finding movies through discovery and through talking to people, feeling like you're playing a role in the narrative. And I don't know if we can replicate that by staying home. So if there is some way for me, at least, to get out of the house and be somewhere that seems to be an extension of uh, where these movies are traveling, then yes, I want to be there. Now, I don't know if other people feel that way. I want to be there too, but I can't predict today in April how I'm going to feel in August, where we're going to be in August. And that's the point. I mean, it's- Yeah, we got to write it out. You know, write it out and improvise. Where's your safety? Where's your safety? You know, how do you feel? and that's that's what's gonna that's what it's gonna be for everybody. So should we take some questions? Uh, our, our creative producer Leo Garcia is here with us, and I believe he's been gathering some. So Leo, you got anything that that's worth lobbing our way? Yeah. So I think it's telling how in sync you guys are with all your listeners because you've addressed a lot of the questions that they've asked. Uh, but I think here's a here's sort of a general and big one, and I'm gonna paraphrase a little bit. But uh, Jack McDermott asks. Do you foresee any sort of benefits or changes that this pandemic will have on the film industry moving forward? Essentially asking like, what has changed maybe for the better due to this sort of halt? Wow. Some people might not agree with this, but I think that a winnowing out of the theaters is not a terrible thing to take away some of the ones that are not doing well and and are are weaker and having a smaller number of theaters. Um, uh, (laughs) Any theater owners listen, and I don't mean the art house cinemas. I obviously cherish them, but they're, uh, especially on the commercial side, there's way too many screens right now. And it could be that they're stronger and better as a result of a certain kind of uh, Darwinian survival uh, purging, I'm afraid. Um, I do I do like that the question asks what, what good might come out of this situation because there have been so many open questions about the changing nature of the market for movies and everyone being so resistant to change. And now that they're being forced to change, we're seeing people's true colors and where their priorities lie. I, I think there is something kind of positive in the sense that Every, there's a huge demand for product of all sorts and that even older films are suddenly really valuable. One thing that I would single out is that classic film libraries, that, that term classic being an umbrella term that refers to just a lot of older movies, those libraries I think have more currency now than they did before because people were afraid, you know, maybe nobody really wants to watch older movies or there's a smaller audience. Well, now there's a bigger audience for everything. So we're all watching Criterion Channel, but there's also lots of old studio films that have been, you know, sitting around in vaults and so forth that could be really valuable too. So my hope is that we're going to see a greater interest in film history. that comes. But I would also suggest that all of this movie watching at home is only going to benefit movie watching in theaters later on because people are going to be reminded of how much they love movies. And I do believe that when they feel safe, they're going to flock back to the theaters and be eager to go to the theaters. I think we're all in a more tentative state of mind right now. I would love to see, here's what I want to have happen. I want a studio to buy a theater chain. 
I don't know which one can afford it. I don't know which, whether it's Disney or, or Universal, but I want them to do it so that they can do the kind of collaboration, so that they can do the kind of innovation that is long overdue. Back in the day, uh, <laughs> the studios owned the theaters, and if they still did, there would be a lot more uh, innovation going on right now. We wouldn't be in the situation we're in where they're at odds with each other. They'd be in sync. Well, wasn't isn't there some antitrust uh, yes. red tape that has well, to be? It's, a, it's fascinating. There's a there was the Paramount consent decree, but it's been overthrown. It, it mm. no longer is applying, so they can buy theaters if they want to. I mean, and look, uh, Landmark and Magnolia did really well together for a couple of years there on a, on a very different scale. So maybe there is a real opportunity if, if a studio owns a theater to also not just be a studio, but to understand the value of opening up to product from its They've competitors. Been, what's been going on is that the studios have been very frustrated that they haven't been able to play around in all these different playpens. And if they owned the, the theaters, then the theaters would, wouldn't be uh, marooned and abandoned and on their own with only one way to make money. All right, Leo, what else you got for us? I mean, that, that line of thought actually dovetails nicely to this question I wanted to ask, which, uh, will drive-ins be a major player in summer movie going this year? Like, is that feasible? I don't know how many there are in, in the country. I know Tom has been looking into this uh, for the site. The number there... that comes into my head is like 300, something like that. But uh, if I were if I were out there, I mean, Eric, you and I have been to film festivals like Locarno or, or, or you know, Cannes always has the films on the plage. Telluride has the films in the park. Uh, I've been mm -hmm. to Hawaii where they have great outdoor screenings. We, why, and I know that Alamo does a lot of these outdoor pop-up yeah. screening things. I'm sure they're planning something knowing them. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's a bit of a tangent, but Locarno canceling this week hit me hard because I loved going to that festival. It's one of the festivals I, I just went to out of pure delight. And the Piazza Grande that they did for 8,000 people every night was, was just an incredibly unique kind of event, this kind of mass collective experience. But it was not a social distancing experience, whereas drive-ins were in the vehicle. You could restage it that way, though. You could restage it that way. I, I love the drive-in experience, and I love the, its resilience. It almost feels like the way that radio still has currency after hundred plus is it, there's something about it that just it's it's it seems to overcome well, you're safe the in your car right yeah. and if they the the concessions is still the big question mark for me but you can also pre-book a lot of a lot of what they're gonna have to do at theaters is pre-book so that you don't have to have a transaction when you get there um, more, more online stuff I just think there's gonna be a lot more to answer the other question too a lot more innovation I would if you can build theaters at Telluride you know they take auditoriums and they have outdoor cinemas and they do all sorts of things why can't everybody do them in every well, place I, I agree and my heart goes out to you know nonprofits like rooftop films that has really developed a, a, an identity in this space getting people outside if they can pivot somehow in, into the drive-in space I know they could put on a good show because it the, my hope would be that if drive-ins have this resurgence this summer, that it's not just, you know, temple type stuff, but that you can actually get some aspect of a, a wider range of cinema showcased in this environment. I'll also break some news here. I bought a car today. Um, you did not. People are like, how do you do that in New York? Yeah, we were talking about it. And honestly... I have a, I, I do. I know I live in New York City, but we have a garage in our building, so it's feasible. I didn't know you so, knew how to drive. <laughs> I, I, I got, I've been a while since I've been behind the car, so this is going to be an ongoing thing. But uh, it'll be an interesting process. If, if the drive-in outside Albany, the Jericho drive-in, which we tend to go to right after Cannes when I visit my in-laws, if that's open, 
I'll drive up and check it out. You know, it's, I mean, I, I, again, I'm putting myself at risk. I, I, I'm willing to go to Telluride, but I'll also gladly drive to a drive-in. So this should be an interesting uh, couple of weeks. That's I'm going to go to the Contiki. That's my new, as soon as I get out of my lockdown, I'm going, that's our local one here in LA. Any other questions, Leo? Uh, I mean, I think this one is sort of a, a bit more about prognostication, but assuming tenant opens, uh, and with social distancing, this comes from Blake Bell, by the way, who earlier in the questions uh, referred to you as the Benjamin Button of IndieWire, Eric. Um, <laughs> but uh, I can't he's quite getting figure that one out. As we go. <laughs> <laughs> I think getting younger. Perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what stage in the movie I'm in. <laughs> Is he more childlike? I think so, yes. <laughs> oh, I hope so. Uh, well, he's asking, will Tenant win the box office this year and be favored for best picture? Uh, essentially asking between it and Mulan, will every screen in America have it, even with social distancing over the course of the year? Okay, so basically they are, this is what people are contemplating, is that they have, they're going to have social distancing in all the theaters, but there's literally going to be one movie playing in every cinema, in every screen, and that will be tenant. <laughs> <laughs> so they'll be Better plenty. Be good. Yeah, they could even do good business in that in that model, especially if it's all over all over the world. I mean, China's about to open up again, and that's going to be really important uh, for Mulan. Um, and as for the Oscars, um, anything that gets open, there may be fewer films in 2020 that actually are Oscar contenders. So that's going to give everybody that actually plays an advantage, I would say. We don't really know what, what mode of Nolan we're looking at with Tenant. I mean, it seems like a fun sci-fi movie and a real sort of brain pretzel kind of experience, like the Inception mode. It has a time code so, thing. Yeah, so I think the question is with that with that side of things is, is this, a, you know, the kind of Christopher Nolan movie that, you know, the diehard conspiracy theorist fans are going to go crazy unraveling all the little details and then, you know, a lot of Academy members are going to be left scratching their heads or does it have, does it somehow satisfy both sides of the equation because just being the big movie of the summer isn't necessarily going to be enough to make it the oscar movie right i mean that i that agree seems like an i mean it, it really depends um there's a lot of sympathy for nolan though right now um because he's such a champion of of, of theaters i i don't know um it he, he hasn't gone as far as he would like to with the oscars even dunkirk didn't go as far as one would have thought it might We'll see. Yeah. Sad story. The poor guy keeps fighting for those Oscars and we feel so bad for him. But he also gets And Mulan would be Mulan. a likely contender yeah. if it opens. I mean, Mulan is an interesting case where a Mulan's lot a of commercial people, movie. It has tie-ins. It has toys. It has licensing deals. So it has to come out when it's going to come out, just like Trolls did. And so it's, it's a question of uh, if, if things go um, sideways with the theaters, Mulan is one of those movies that might have to go streaming to Disney+. Plus. To be continued. All right, should we take one more? a lot of uh, people in that way. That's true. Should we take one more question? Let's do it. Uh, sure. I mean, you guys have sort of touched on a lot of the people talking about virtual uh, cinema and virtual festivals um, and the dust up with AMC and Universal. But I think this is, again, sort of a more general picture from uh, Albert Payano. Um, will the day and date releases have a huge effect after this Universal AMC debacle? Like, is that going to change the way other studios sort of uh, deal with things. 
Okay, so we have a Windows question, really. And so the 90 days is the exclusive period um, that the theaters have been insisting on all this time. And the studios have been trying to push the PVOD window up. And I think that you're going to find some movement there. They're, they're negotiating is what's going on. And we'll see if they can get that window shorter. Uh, I think it, it will happen. Yeah, it should be interesting to see how day and date kind of plays out because 15 years ago when that concept first started coming out there it's so it was so explicitly re- in reference to you know smaller stuff so the theaters the theater chains won't accept day and day ever. yeah it just it, it just sounds happen like you it's, have it's to incentive. give them a few weeks at least i mean even netflix gives them a, 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 about three weeks at this point which is, a, is is where a lot of people would like to be i think there's a mid mid-range in there somewhere no, I have to say, I mean, it's it's worth reiterating how popular Roma was in New York while it was available on Netflix and that there is, you know, the more flexible you are. cinematic scale kind of situation. But there's room for more than one unusual film on a large cinematic scale from a singular auteur. And I think maybe there's some some value in leaning into that potential. So I do, I did, I, I popped into this Q&A thing and I see one more question that I think would be, uh, worth bringing up here from Donald Clark. And that was, what was the last film you saw in a cinema? And take a reasoned guess as to what will be the next. You know, Anne? Uh, a cinema is different from a screening room, right? Well, that's so an interesting distinction I, there. I tend to see things in screening rooms more than... Say screening room theaters. on a big screen. I saw something on a big screen that was a screening room. So it was, it was, it was She Dies Tomorrow, that, that mm. at the Soho screening room, the uh, yep. Amy Simons uh, movie that was supposed to be at South by. So cool. And Neon bought that, so hopefully other people get a chance to see it. And so it's very, very timely experience. I also, so we were both watching South by Southwest movies when all this stuff happened. I was at Dolby Theater and I saw this, this documentary in and of itself that Frank Oz directed of, of Derek DeGaulio's um, magic show. And it's an amazing, powerful, very emotional kind of story. So to me, that's like an ideal thing to get out on streaming, but it was actually really fun to watch it on a big screen too, because of the laughter around me and the, the emotion and all that kind of stuff. So that was very memorable. In terms of what will, what I think will be the next one, well, I mean, Tenet seems to be staking that claim. I can't really think of any other reason why why another movie could come along and do and that. And that's but, a movie you have to see. They're going to screen yeah. it in a big theater. You have to see it in a big theater. There's no substitute acceptable. Exactly. Okay, I, I just want to squeeze one more in here because now I'm looking at this q and I'm sort of fascinated by these. <laughs> and sorry, Leo, to, to, to take away the moderator out of the equation, but I just then once I started peeking in, I was like, oh, this is actually really interesting. Do you think any of the films that are based on this pandemic will be any good? Ooh. I can't imagine wanting to watch one. I still haven't well, gone back and looked at Contagion. That's the last thing I want to do. As, I liked it when it came though, out. That's the thing. It's, it is it's very disturbing to watch stuff that, that is in on that wavelength. But then you just mentioned a film, She Dies Tomorrow, which is about existential dread. Which has new resonance now and yes, works very exactly. well. Absolutely. I, exactly. So I think I it'll think be that, like that. I think there will be more metaphorical uses right. of, of this kind of, you know, people trapped or or whatever it is. Yeah, and, and ultimately, it's it's going to come down to what somebody's doing, unless 
what you know the the, the the particular circumstances of the timeline i mean if it's if we get a bunch of movies that are all zoom calls i think it's going to get pretty grating pretty fast and there's probably going to be some annoying rom-coms but we'll probably get some innovative takes too so you know i'm open to you know what i'm excited about is that all these writers are home writing yeah and they're writing Hopefully. specs and they're right. drinking. They are. Well, they're doing that too. Uh, but I think we could, we could have some amazing stuff come out of this. Um, and I, I can't wait to see what they've come up with. Well, as I say, to be continued. Well, Anne, thank you for doing this and thank you all for tuning in. We hope you had a good time seeing us in our natural habitats, myself here in Queens and Anne somewhere in the 1890s. With when I'm confronted with the real Eric, I remember how fond I am of him. <laughs> truly, truly a good time. Well, thanks again. And uh, we will see you all for another one of these, hopefully at some point down the line. And then again in the outside world. Stay safe out there, folks. Bye. Thanks for joining in. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.